All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 21. John 21. John 21. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time together so far this morning. And now as we open Your Word and we continue to understand what it means to follow You, to be a disciple of Jesus, I ask You to speak through the Holy Spirit Your truth, Lord. And and as we've seen, Lord, uh, we're not just to hear it, but we're to be doers. Lord, there's an expectation of obedience. There's an expectation of application in everything we hear from your word. So, so Lord, speak corporately to us, speak individually. And uh, again, we're so thankful for your word. In Jesus name. Amen. The last several Sundays we've been together, we've been looking at what the Bible says about being a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And we intentionally are not necessarily using the word Christian. And, and, and that's not you know, a bad thing. It's not a bad word. Don't take it that way. Uh, but it's just that, that when we say the word, when you say, if you were to reference or call yourself a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, man, that kind of changes things. That kind of, that, just to hear yourself say that, right? So, so, for instance, everyone say, I am a follower of Jesus. Just if you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, say, I am a follower of Jesus. Right now, now say I am a Christian. It's kind of different, isn't it? This has a different, a different oomph to it at the core level, right? When you say I'm a follower of Jesus, that seems to bring this, this much more of a, of a, of a personal connection. When you say I'm a Christian, that can kind of, for many, just sort of mean that I adhere to, I affirm, I assent to. Broad doctrinal beliefs. When I say I'm a follower of Jesus, man, that makes it personal. Because now you're identifying someone very specific in the, in the history of this planet named Jesus. And as, as, as he, we saw two weeks ago when Jesus asked his disciples, well, who do you say I am? Well, you are the Christ. Woo, be careful when you say that. What does that really mean? So if, we're, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are professing to be a follower of Jesus, the Christ. Right? That's a weighty statement. That's a weighty statement. And sometimes we forget how weighty that is for you to, to profess to be a follower of Jesus, the Christ. Why is that weighty? Because in some places that can cost you your life. Right? And, 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 and it's important that we've been looking at this biblically because it may not cost us our life just yet in this country, but to be a follower of Jesus, the Christ, is going to cost something when you leave here. Potentially. Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, the Christ, and we believe that He has revealed His will through the Word of God, then when you obey Jesus, the Christ, who you profess to follow... That might cost you something. 
right? And we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple. It's a, it's a very personal, it's a very real thing, right? We, we saw that, that Jesus says, hey, when he says, come follow me and be my disciple, we saw that word picture of follow so close to a rabbi that you're covered in the dust of his feet that he kicks up. Jesus says, you want to be my follower? Stay with me this close. Wherever I am, you go. Whatever I say, you say. That's what that whole relationship was, right? And then we saw when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he was talking about the yoke of his teaching. So if you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be that close to him. There's an expectation of obedience to his yoke. Okay? Very important. And then last week, we saw if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you may have to put off your own beliefs and your traditions and your opinions when he reveals something in accordance with his will. You remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you understand where the rich young ruler was coming from as a religious leader, he was just having a conversation with Jesus out of how he was raised, out of his religious tradition. And when Jesus said, hey, leave everything, go sell it and come follow me. It got personal. It got real. And the rich young ruler was confronted with having to yield Everything he had been raised with, everything he had grown up with, all his traditions, everything he excelled at, everything he was looking for in his security and identity, he had made this, he had gotten this status. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, all that stuff that you're banking on, get rid of it all, and now it's just me and you. And if you remember, what happened to the rich young ruler? He went away. Sad. Now, many of us equate that to because he had, the Bible says because he had a lot of wealth, right? And he couldn't let go of the wealth. But I think there's broader than the money issue. He was confronted with having to let go of everything that he kind of knew. And that's challenging. I shared with you the challenge of me being raised in the Roman Catholic tradition where where. You know, when, when, when I began to seek the Lord and friends would share the gospel with me and they would just quote scripture and have me read the Bible for myself for the first time, I was confronted culturally. I was confronted in my own family. I was confronted with what, what I believed, how people get to heaven. I, I was confronted, much like the rich young ruler, with all this stuff. Versus following Jesus based on what the Bible says. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it's not just at the point of salvation, it's every day. Because there's parts of us that want to go back to what we know, back to what we're comfortable with, back to our security. And Jesus says, no, no, just leave that. Just leave that and come follow me. Just leave that. Right? And this morning we're going to continue looking at what it means to follow Jesus in the unique plan and in the unique way he's formed you and me, right? One of, we, we just celebrated birthdays, and one of the verses we share frequently about birthdays is, you are fearfully and wonderfully 
made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. Turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. Sometimes you drive me crazy, but you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. All the time. Right. So the next time someone gets annoyed or irritated, just go fearfully and wonderfully made. Take it up with him. Right. In fact, in Ephesians, we are called his workmanship. And that word workmanship means poem, his masterpiece, his artwork. We're his workmanship created to do good deeds. Right. So not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made and that in that passage, it says he formed you in the womb. Right. But Ephesians says you're his workmanship. So just turn to that person next to you and say, and I'm a poem. (laughs) Go ahead. Say, I'm his poem. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right. I'm going to let you all finish that. But So we are created uniquely by God. We're his workmanship, his artwork. He, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed us in the womb. Now, how does that relate to following Jesus? How does that relate to following Jesus? Right. So turn to John 21. You're there. In context, Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples went to Galilee In the beginning of John 21, they fished all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus miraculously appears on the shore. Peter recognizes him. They get to shore, and this is very familiar, the reinstatement of Jesus. I mean, the reinstatement of Peter by Jesus. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? So kind of people see where that's where Peter got reinstated into the ministry and everything was good between him and Jesus. Right? So in John 21... 18, right? Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says this. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is John talking about. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testified to these things and he wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen? So, Jesus, in verse 18, basically tells Peter, hey, you remember when you kind of freaked out about me telling you we were going to go to Jerusalem and I was going to suffer and be killed and raised from the dead? And you said, 
No, Lord, and you rebuked me. And he kind of freaked out because you realize if you're my disciple and, and they do that to the rabbi and the teacher, that might happen to the disciples. Well, Jesus is telling Peter here, uh, Pete, yeah, as my disciple, as my follower, it's going to cost you your life, right? It's going to cost him. But I love verse 19 because look what it says. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would what? Glorify God. Isn't it interesting how even again in our tradition and the way we're raised as humans on this planet, how many of us ever look at death as a way to glorify God? But as his follower, as a disciple of Jesus, Peter's death would glorify God. We've been all been to memorial services where testimonies are given of followers of Jesus. And doesn't it glorify God? Right? And so, if you understand Peter, right? I love Peter. How many? I, I just love Peter. He's so real. So imagine Peter being told by Jesus, yeah, it's going to cost you your life. In the human part of Peter, you go, if I was Peter, I'd get kind of nervous. Maybe freak out a little bit internally, right? And so, and so I can kind of see Peter looking around, and he sees John. And maybe just to kind of ease the emotion of the moment and everything he's reeling with, we don't really know what his motive is for asking. Look, it says this in verse 21. When Peter saw him, he's referring to John. When Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Right? You get that? Jesus just tells me, yeah, following me, it's going to cost you your life. What about him? Right? And, 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 and in that moment, he wants to deflect it, maybe just release it, whatever. He says, what about him? And look what Jesus says. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus, in, the, in, in, in this moment, and I believe out of love even, has to correct Peter once again. He says, Peter, you need to stay focused on me. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Because that can be a distraction. Well, what about, well, what about, well, what about? Right? That can even be a deflection. If we know God's calling us to do something in our life, well, what about Scott? Right? We're not really interested about Scott. We're just trying to deflect it off of us. And so Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about him. You follow me. See, Peter had his own unique plan. God had his own unique plan for how Peter was going to follow him and what it would cost Peter in his unique discipleship relationship with Jesus. And everybody in here is called to follow him. It's personal. Now, corporately, we are all in un- we're unified in Christ. Corporately, we're the body of Christ. Corporately, here at this church, we believe this is the scriptures and the truth. Amen. So we're unified. But in that unity, there's diversity. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his poema, his workmanship. So each one of us is responsible to grow and mature in our relationship with Jesus. So we follow him personally. 
He has a unique plan for Brenda. Brenda can't say, but Jesus, what about Teresa? You follow me. Right? Because you can't control Teresa. You can't control whether she's even going to obey Jesus or where she is. You follow me. Don't get distracted by worrying about other people. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care. Because John 13, 34 says, the world will know that you're my disciples, how we love one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, we're not to forsake the gathering, but we gather to encourage one another to love and good deeds. So, we are to care, I won't say care, but not compare. Huge difference. We are to care for one another. Love one another with agape love, self-sacrificial love. But we got to be real careful to start comparing. To start comparing. Because the scripture says that God put everybody in the body of Christ according to his plan. According to his will. He placed everyone. If you're a believer, you have been given a spiritual gift. Right. How many of you, either you personally or have had kids at Christmas where you kind of compare gifts? (laughs) Nudge, nudge, elbow, it's already happened, right? As much as you try, even as a parent, right? You got all these kids and you got to be equal. You don't want anyone's feelings to get hurt. Right. And so you as a parent, you deal with that. Right. As a kid. Anyone? Well, yeah, I'm thankful, but they got. Right? So there's this, there's this nature in us that wants to compare, that wants to see, did, what, did I get as much as? Did I get You've got to be careful to bring that into the church. Because in Corinthians it says, you know what? He's given everybody, every believer has a gift. And the gifts are given for unity, not division. In fact, he says, those parts of the body that seem less honorable, right? They're no different than those that seem more honorable, right? Here's the thing. In the, in, the, in the way we do church, oh, it's all the people up front. They got the real gifts. I'm just. I just. Right? Brenda. Faithfully. On Sundays after church, picks up your communion cup. Which one is more valuable? The guy who talks for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes longer, right? (laughs) Or Brenda, who walks around with a plastic bag and picks up our, including my, communion cup while we're off having donuts and coffee. God places everybody according to His will, His plan. He's the gift giver. We're not to compare. We care, but we don't compare. Right? And so here's the thing. If you were here last week, we talked about we're going to have this ministry fair. Right? And I've been really kind of struggling with this ministry fair thing. 
because having grown up in, in different sized churches and, and, you know, ministry fair. Oh, now they're going to they're going to it's recruitment Sunday. And now, honey, we can't go there because they're going to ask us to sign up for something. I know the drill. Right. I know the drill. Some some churches will provide tri-tip burgers to get you out there. We'll have clowns and elephants and horses just to hopefully get you out that door instead of that door. So you can come and we can sign you up. Wink, wink. Right. Because once we got you, we got you for life. Wink, wink. Right. I know the drill, and that's why it's so tough for me to go, oh, we're going to have a ministry fair, and we're going to have a bunch of ministry leaders out there, and come out there and meet them. you got to go. Sorry. You know, I mean, because we're all kind of churched. And I know it's, it, it's tough, right? And I was like, Lord, how do, we, how do we look at serving in the church in the context of following Jesus? Because you have to put it in the right context. Many of us compartmentalize. I go to Sundays. I go to, then I serve. Then I go to Wednesdays. Then I do. Then I, then I, then I. And we, we make all these slices of the pie in our Christian life when really there is no pie. It's a relationship. It's just your life. It's who you are as a disciple of Jesus. And so when we have these special Sundays, I, 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 it kind of grates on me. Because I know how to do special Sunday. For 20 plus years I did special Sunday. And what I know is that when you know it's special Sunday, some people don't even come to special Sunday. Because it's the sales pitch. Here's the thing. And, and, and this, this is, you know, there's a lot of notes on there. We'll probably cover it next week. I just want to share this with you. Our heart, when it comes to serving, in this fellowship is that ultimately you are serving in a capacity that is unique to you in your sanctification, in your following of Jesus. Amen? We are not trying to fill slots. Let me repeat that again because some of you just wigged on me because your, your eyes rolled back. We are not trying to fill slots here. We're not trying to sell you anything. The only thing we want you to do is follow Jesus so closely that when He tells you to go serve somewhere, you do it joyfully. Willingly. You're excited about it. That's my heart. Because we cannot divorce, we cannot separate our serving from our sanctification. You cannot do that. In fact, the church in Revelation, Ephesus, Jesus called them out, right? Look at Revelation 2. You cannot separate your serving from your relationship with Jesus. Turn to Revelation 2. Revelation 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. You're serving. Your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and been endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. 
you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Right? You cannot, you cannot compartmentalize your serving, your good deeds, your hard work, everything you think you need to do in church. If you, if you separate that, compartmentalize it from your love of Jesus, you're already off. You're already off. Okay? What did Jesus say? If, hey, hey, Rabbi, what's your yoke? Um, what's your first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus didn't say, serve the Lord your God. He said, love. And then He said, if you love Me, you'll obey Me. Which includes using the gifts He's given you. It goes back to love. You cannot divorce. You cannot separate your love for Jesus first and foremost. Because out of that will come obedience. And out of that will come wherever He wants you to serve in His church. Amen? That is our heart for today. I had a whole lot I was going to say, but... It's a process. See, we read that letter to the church, and you know how I read that? I'm like, where were the pastors? How did that whole church get to be like that? That was a call out to the shepherds, not just to the people. (laughs) That's weighty. Hey, a pastor, your church left its first love as a whole. But we had a lot of ministry fairs. There was a whole lot of people doing stuff. Do you hear the call out to the pastors in that? That's huge. And that is weighed on me. And that's why I struggled with how to approach this today. And all I got to do is tell you this. The most important thing for me and the leadership team at this church is your relationship with Jesus Christ. We want you to love Him with your whole being. Sometimes that will involve you taking steps of faith and serving and it helps you grow. Sometimes it will mean you don't serve because your serving has superseded your relationship with Jesus. And it's now a hindrance. And I don't care if you're on the worship team and I don't care if you stand behind this. The minute this ministry supersedes my relationship with Jesus, I need to take a break. And that's why I got these two guys to tell me the truth, and that's why we got three three guys on accountability board who will tell me, you need to take a break, buddy. Your idol is now your senior pastor. The second service supersedes sanctification, you got to take a break. You got to recalibrate. You got you, you got you got you got to reassess across the board. That's called repentance. That's what that's what it's called. And so today, when we leave here, and we're gonna we're gonna close in just a couple minutes here, because I know you well enough to know. Oh man, it's early. Guess we don't have an excuse to leave. Wink, wink. We are going to close. And there are going to be ministry leaders. We were hoping to do it outside, but that's not going to work because of the rain, so it's inside. There's ministry leaders who just want to chat. 
just tell you their story. They're not trying to sell you anything. This isn't the black diamond sales pitch. Okay? We're not trying to sell you anything. We just want you to get to know us. Just get to know us. And we want to get to know you. On the tables, there's this shape inventory, right? And you can see the shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience. It's a, it's a model that a lot of churches use to help you and us discover how God uniquely has made you. You can take one of these, fill it out if you so desire, and then give it to Pastor Tyler, and we'll have a conversation. We're not trying to sell you. We want to get to know you. We want to see how God has uniquely made you. Your spiritual gifts, your passions, your abilities, your personality, the experiences you've had in your life. It all comes to bear in how you're going to be most effective in his kingdom. Amen. But here's the thing that comes out of relationship. That's scary to most people. What you would rather have me do is give you have you sign up for six months because you could do that. Now, leave me alone. Let's make it transactional. Let's just make this, let's make this contractual. What do I have to do? Okay, be here at uh, 8.30. Okay, that's it. Okay, now leave me alone, Pastor. Don't get in my life. That's kind of how you end up like the church of Ephesus. We're going to pursue how you're supposed to follow Jesus individually and not compare. We're going to pursue that from the relational end of things. We want you to meet ministry leaders. You're going to eventually, if, if God continues to bless your, your journey, you'll meet with us. See how best He has shaped you. And we'll just take it from there. We're not in a rush. But what I would encourage you to do is this. Is to understand this. If you're a believer, you have been given a spiritual gift, which is different than an ability, than a natural ability. You are called to use that gift for the common good. You are called to use that gift to serve others. You are called to use that gift in love. Which means, if you are a member of the body of Christ, there is just not a spectator sport. If you are a member of the body of Christ, you are called to be actively participating with the understanding that your participation never supersedes your love for Jesus. Amen? So sometimes there are seasons where people need to take breaks. Sometimes there are seasons where people need to just get involved. Don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself. Follow him. Follow him. So that is the heart of what we're doing. That is the heart of what we're doing. That's why we're ending early. That's why the ministry leaders are there. Right? Next week we'll pick up and we'll look a little more uh, studiously at this idea of, of just... But understand... Following Jesus is, in a sense, unique to everybody in here because you are uniquely shaped. Don't compare yourself. And never, ever, ever let your serving supersede your love for Jesus. Serving should always be a flow, an outgrowth. Okay? That's where we are. Let's pray together. Lord, As we prepare for communion, we're reminded 
that as followers of Jesus, it's relational. It's rooted in your love for us and our love for you. And this morning, we're reminded in John 21 that we're not to compare. You've given all of your children gifts, abilities, personalities. We all have our own experiences. Everything that will be brought to bear in how best to serve in your church. Not even just this local body, but your church. But Jesus, we're also reminded by that story in in Revelation that our deeds are never to supersede our love for you. And the church at Ephesus was called to repent. And so Jesus, this morning, in this time of communion, we come back to our first love. We're reminded of your love as demonstrated while we were yet sinners. We're reminded that because of your love and your grace, our names are written in heaven for those who put their faith in Jesus. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you this morning, believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith. Receive the gift of God through Jesus' finished work at Calvary. And if you are here, perhaps in this time of communion, you'll just yield and say, okay, Jesus, it's not about comparing. Okay, Lord, if I if I put anything above my love for you, I take this time of confession and repentance. And Lord, if there's a way, if there's a specific ministry or something you would have me to do in this local body, then maybe today I'll just chat with somebody about it and begin the relational process of how you can use me in your kingdom. So we'll distribute the communion elements. Once again, there'll be two cups, and once everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. Amen. First Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come and take it. On the back of your sermon notes, you see a list with a whole lot of bullets. And not all of these ministries are going to be in the fellowship hall, but I wanted to give you a snapshot of the breadth of what happens here at this little church. It's amazing. Not everything's even on the list. But like I mentioned earlier, we have someone collect communion cups. We have a team that breaks down this stage immediately after so that the Wesleyans can come in and set up. We have someone who folds the bulletins every Sunday. And then we have the bigger ministries that you're familiar with, ushers, etc. There is so much that goes on. People put up the signs. People bring down the signs. Somebody blows the leaves every Sunday morning before you get here. There's so much. I think of those who go to 
continuing care. Marvin, awesome. I'm so blessed by Marvin who responded to God's call to go to continuing care with us once a month. And what a blessing to see him chatting with Doris. And I know she was blessed. So thank you, Marvin. Right? And where does all that come from? Our relationship with Him. Following Him. And what is the ultimate purpose? I love this. 1 Peter 4.11 If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, everyone say all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's for His glory that we serve. How does that happen? When we follow Him. How does that happen? When we love Him. Amen? Love Jesus, desire, commit to follow Him, and then say, Lord, okay, now show me. And it begins with a process of relationship. We encourage you, come on over, chat with someone. Even if you're involved in another ministry, chat with someone in another ministry. It doesn't mean you can't shift every once in a while. You're not locked in for life. Come meet somebody. Opportunity. There's the don't, uh, the muffins. What cupcakes? Cupcakes and all the refreshments over there. We're ending early. It's only ten fourteen, and um, just come on over. Smile. See how someone's doing. Just love each other, and we'll begin the process as a church family. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.